Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. With the start of the 2021 professional tennis season comes a bit of a change in our Cracked Rackets podcasting schedule. Now, hopefully all of you GSP listeners are also subscribed and listen to our mini break podcast where day in, day out, we break down the goings on of the professional tennis world on that podcast this offseason. We tried to help get all of you listeners prepared for the action we are about to see unfold. And one of the ways we did that was by launching our next-gen ATP 2.0 series where our newest Cracked Rackets contributor Dave Gertler and I break down the next rising crop of young 21 and under ATP players currently ascending their way up the rankings. Now, with the start of professional tennis action, we're going to start focusing on that on the mini break podcast. Focus on the action this week in Abu Dhabi, Delray Beach, and Antalya. Uh, but we still have a few next-gen ATP rising stars we want to discuss, so we have moved that podcast here to the Great Shot podcast feed and have another episode for all of you listeners today. It's an episode I think all of you are going to enjoy as we talk about certainly one of the rising stars these past 18 months in the professional tennis world. You weren't really a member of tennis Twitter until you fired off your Brandon Nakashima's going to be a problem someday tweet. And that's the guy we talk about today, Brandon Nakashima, who certainly is going to be a problem for all of his opponents throughout his professional tennis career. Nakashima already inside the ATP top 200 at 19 years old, won his first challenger title to end the 2020 season in Orlando and is a guy all of us has cir- have circled as a rising star in the men's game now on today's show. Of course, Brandon, uh, David and I talk about Brandon's game. We talk about what he's accomplished so far, his biggest strengths, the things he needs to work on the most to reach his upside. And then, of course, we talk about that potential. We talk about where we think he can someday end up in the rankings, what he has to do to continue his path to success, and so much more. It's a phenomenal podcast. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Before we get to that conversation, just a quick reminder, with the start of the professional tennis season comes the resumption of our GSP Aces of the Day. If for some reason you aren't playing along, put a little money in your pocket. Get in on the action by turning to our friends at DraftKings. You go to DraftKings.com, create your DraftKings Sportsbook account, and make a deposit. DraftKings will match that deposit up to 20% uh, at 20% up to $500. From there, you're going to make your first bet, and DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to DKNG.co slash cracked open to play. That's DKNG.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Illinois, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITHIN-IN Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Users must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonuses in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. And remember, if you want to hear our picks each and every day, Look here on this Great Shot podcast feed for our GSP Ace of the Day. You're going to get those Monday through Saturday. Every week we have professional tennis in 2021. But with that in mind, you will also get a bunch of fun Great Shot podcasts looking at the broader picture of the professional tennis world. Today, we continue our next-gen ATP 2.0 series with a conversation about Brandon Nakashima. Here is that conversation. Westoff, roll it. 
joining me for another edition of our Next Gen ATP 2.0 series, breaking down those young rising stars in the men's game. You, of course, know him as our newest contributor here at Cracked Rackets. You may also know him as All About Tennis Blog on Twitter. I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing with the return of professional tennis this week? Good. If only the WTA website was uh, as good as I am. (laughs) No, seriously. I feel like you might be the one person out there who enjoys watching Italia on an illegal betting stream more than if it was just on Tennis Channel. Yes, uh, I'm I'm waiting for for the uh, men's main job. It's nice to have Abu Dhabi back for the women. Uh, And nice to have Tennis Channel rocking and rolling again. Oh, absolutely. It's just so great to not have to be watching matches on YouTube. I was up way too late last night. As soon as Kazakina uh, started, and I think she was playing Wong, I was just like, I'm watching this. I was like, I'm awake. I haven't watched tennis in so long. And, you know, that's it's just on my – it's back. I was like, it is back in my life. And I know, again, uh, we are so excited to have professional tennis back. That is something you and I are certain to be talking about more as this season progresses. But we still have one more player to go in. In our next-gen ATP 2.0 series. Of course, we may bring this series back throughout the course of the year as we see some of these young players continue to excel uh, with their results, but a guy we wanted to talk about before this 2021 season really gets underway, a player I think all of us in the tennis world at some point over the past 18 months has fallen in love with, and actually, I had a litmus test before for every person. It was, okay, what's the date going to be when you tweet out your watch out for Brandon Nakashima, he's going to be a problem tweet, right? Because everyone had to tweet it at some point this summer. Uh, but certainly... Similar re- with uh, Sanner, I remember. Same oh, type of deal. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And it was just like, okay, I'm sorry, but if you are texting this in, or if you're tweeting this in June, like, it's not a novel tweet. We're all aware of Brandon Nakashima. These are my pet peeves, David, and not to get into that, not to soil what should be an outstanding podcast, because the reason everyone was sending that tweet is it's undeniable. Over the past 18 months, perhaps no young player has been as consistent in his rise week in, week out, except for maybe Yannick Sinner, as Brandon Nakashima, the player we are talking about today. For our listeners out there who don't know about the, I want to say, number 166 in the world, the 19-year-old. Career high. Career Currently high of one, 170. Talk to us I mean, a little sorry, bit about current him. current 170, career high 166. I like it. Talk to us a little bit about him, David. Okay, perfect. So he's 19 years old, six foot one, 170 pounds. Uh, favorite shot is the backhand, and he likes to play in hard courts, which, as you see, is uh, playing where he's played is evident in his tournament selection. He has a powerful backhand that cuts through the court and changes direction well. Forehand is solid, good depth on both wings for his ground strokes. Um, his old coach Pat Cash emphasized the transition game well in his net game. And while Nakashima isn't totally comfortable with that side yet, he's getting there. Serve is good placement, hits his spots often, produces lots of free points and short balls. And then I'll wait before I say what what I think he can improve on a little more. 
No, I, I think that's a good intro for everyone and just a little bit more about Brandon. This is a guy who was the former world junior number three. He was a guy who uh, obviously was one of the, if not the top recruit to go to college, played uh, a season for the University of Virginia, played primarily at the number two singles position uh, behind Carl Soderlund. But, you know, by the end of the season... ACC it, freshman of the year. Exactly. By the end of the season, it was clear Brandon was one of the 10, 15 best players in in the college game at the age of 17. And I mean, he was beating a guy in the NCAA quarterfinal Virginia played. The match didn't finish, but he was up late in the third set on Petros Risokos, who at the time was the defending NCAA singles champion who lost one match the duration of his senior year as a guy who's gotten inside the top 400, I think currently inside the top 500 of the ATP rankings, and Brandon had him. And at that moment, you know, Brandon was also, I want to say, a Kalamazoo, if not finalist. I think he was a finalist and then made the quarterfinals the next year before losing to Zach Sfida. Uh, But he had just checked out, you know, every check mark you look for. He was a top five ITF junior. He was a guy who went to college tennis and had immediate success. Every sort of benchmark you have for a player in their young junior career, he continued to hit it. And to me, it just, you know, it makes me think when in to talk about the basics of his game, I think that's why we're all so excited about him is it's, it's an eye test thing that is matched by the results you watch Brandon play and it's just you see a guy and you think there's no way he's not gonna be good right because there's just nothing on a tennis Mm -hmm. court he can't do at least well yeah he's he controls the baseline so well he has the build of of a tennis player of a you know a strong (laughs) bulky build that powerful tennis you know that produces powerful tennis he, like you said, the results have been there. He just picked up his first challenger title the other, you know, a couple months ago. So he's right on track. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you start to look at his junior career, the big titles he won at the end of his career. He won uh, the Junior Masters Cup event, and of course, in that result, I believe, uh, he ends up beating World Junior number 1, Jason Sung at the time. Sung, I want to say, already a top 300 player himself. He was a semifinalist at the 29 U.S. Junior uh, U.S. Open Junior Championships as well, so again, it's not as though he was just racking up ITF grade 4 wins. He went and played the biggest events in the world, and he had success at all all of them. He's got that junior pedigree. Of course, then he came onto the pro circuit and came on out to such a strong start at the end of 2019. And I'm curious for you, mm-hmm. David, because I know I'm sure you, I, I feel like for Nakashima, is he a guy you started to hear about more when he made that big breakthrough in the pro circuit? Or is he one of those guys just because of the success he had in the juniors who's been on your radar for a while? He's been buzz, you know, buzzing around, you know, that his name being thrown around for a while, but a lot of these, you know, junior success doesn't always indicate pro success. So for me, for me really to, you know, become aware of his presence and really start paying attention to more, I have to see that pro success. So yeah, definitely that end of 2019 American hardcore challenger circuit, uh, where he made the initial splash in Tiburon, where he made the quarters beating Mimo and Eubanks losing that tight one to Kwiatkowski, um, semifinals at Fairfield lost to Johnson and then semifinals in Charlottesville where he lost to Pospisil. I mean, those are really great results for such a young player. Yeah, I I think 
you know, again, he was a Colette Lewis superstar, someone she would write about repeatedly because he kept having success at the junior level. But it, it's impossible to watch a guy have that sort of success in college for me and not get excited about his future. And again, it's just how how high his floor was match in, match out, even right away in college because of the control he has from the baseline, because of how steady a game style he plays. Uh, it was very clear that he was going to be very good. Now, you talk about him having a traditional tennis player's body. He's not the biggest guy, right? He's about six foot one, maybe six foot two. And, you know, he's not, I wouldn't say he's bulky. I wouldn't say he's, you know, paper thin either. But he's just your standard, as you mentioned, tennis player build. And yet, you know, he's not a flashy athlete. His foot speed's not Definitely incredible, not. but it's good. And he anticipates really well. And it's just, you know, his, his ground strokes, the pace he produces off of them, it doesn't blow you off the screen. But there's always good depth. There's always good spin. When he wants to step right. into a yep. backhand, he really can. And so, yeah, I mean, for me, the moment you really become aware of, okay, this guy's got potential, and you kind of compare him to some of the other guys we've talked about, you know, for a Yuri Rodiana, for an Emil Rusevori, for an Alejandro Davidovich Fokin, well, I guess Davidovich Fokin is closer to the Nakashima category, but some of those guys, J.J. Wolf, they didn't have this degree of success in the juniors, and it really was pro results where they jumped out for the first time, and you start to say, wow, this guy's really got potential. I think for Lorenzo Musetti, for Brandon Nakashima, that's not the case. These were guys with pedigree, and to see them perform as well as they have already, that's what's so encouraging. And I mean, let's start to talk about some of his pro results because, David, you mentioned, uh, you know, we've talked about a little bit here, or at least alluded to it, the fact that in 2019, after he finishes his college tennis season, he comes out uh, at the end of the year and plays some challengers in the fall. And I mean, he had a lot of success uh, pretty immediately. He makes the quarterfinals in Tiburon, semifinals in Fairfield. You just don't see that frequently from an 18-year-old. Yeah, and he even in 2018, he won the first, his uh, first features in uh, Laguna Niguel against uh, Maxime Cressy, who has since also emerged as a mm-hmm. pretty scary player to play with. College the tennis, versions. man. It works. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely th- that run. I remember, I, I believe I was watching that Kwiatkowski match in the uh, quarterfinals of uh, of that of, of his initial breakthrough um, in Tiburon. And even that one, he was really close to winning that match. And really close, you know, in, in your first big breakthrough, it's not easy to, to play guys like Momo and Eubanks and beat them. Eubanks has a huge serve. Um, it's hard to, but he hard to handle that. And he, but he handled it so well. And to be able to take that that result and bring it to bring his form to Charlottesville, you know, and, put, and take on someone like Pospisil, that's really great to say. Mm-hmm. No, and another thing you have to love about Nakashima is how frequently he's played since turning professionally full time since the start of the or since uh, 
February of 2019, he's 45 and 22. But of course, in 2019, that uh, that winter, that spring, he was playing college tennis. So really, you want to go since September 9th of 2019, which is when he started playing pro events full time. He's 45 and 21. Uh, you know, he's won, I believe, two titles during that stretch. Maybe it's yeah, two titles during that stretch. So he's played 23 events in an otherwise condensed uh, you know time span. Of course, that doesn't include the UTR event he played. That doesn't include the Altic Steislinger exhibition he played, and having been on site at that exhibition, he was probably the one guy of the eight in the field, the field that included Hoobie Hercots and Sam Query and Mackie McDonald, all of these, uh, Stevie Johnson, you know, he was the guy clearly taking it the most seriously. He was the guy doing that two-hour practice session before the matches start. He was the guy stretching and doing all the fitness, doing all the little things before matches, because of course, he's a guy who understands the position he's in at the rankings. And again, it's just, you know, as you mentioned, he played that Futures Event 2018 where he won his first title. He won another title at the beginning of January in Rancho Santa Fe. Got a couple of good wins there over a couple of young guys. Emilio Nava, he beat Ulysses Blanche when Blanche was fresh off of an Ann Arbor Challenger title. And it's just, you know, you love to see the success he's had at the Challenger level week in, week out. He's ripped off that sort of six-week run we talk about where it's just clear he is as good as any player in the challenger level and he's ready to start competing at ATP 250, ATP 500 level events. And the reason I say that, I mean, you can go all the way back to fall of 2019. He goes round of 16 and carry, takes a week off. Quarterfinal Tiburon takes a week off. Semifinal Fairfield plays a futures the next week, probably not the most advised decision, but then makes the semifinals of Challenger the very next uh, in Charlottesville, very next week, round of 16 in Knoxville. And at that point, you know, he's just playing on fumes, but he makes round of 32 before losing to Eubanks indoors. And of course, Eubanks that serve indoors, you can let it slide. I was actually at the match and called that Nakashima Kozlov Ann Arbor Challenger the first week of January. It was a phenomenal match. And to see Brandon go from that to win Rancho Santa Fe, that Futures title, again, it was clear where his level was to start the season and Kozlov is a tricky player uh, oh, we, we I've spent too much time talking about Stefan Kozlov I made it one of my promises <laughs> 2021 is the last season I'm still on the bandwagon if not I'm selling my stock but I'm still a believer let's, we can yeah I'm, I'm still a let's believer. see how he does against Young today uh, uh, that's a match uh I like the lefty I always like Kozlov against the lefty especially someone who's not going to blow him off the court but anyways The point is for Nakashima, week in, week out, he's putting forward these results consistently. And then, of course, at the end of the season for him, uh, we had the huge – for him to get that U.S. Open, win his first-round match against Lorenzi in a comfortable, you know, straight-set fashion, and then Mm -hmm. really push Zverev in the second round. That was something all of us wanted to see happen. Of course, he ends his season most impressively with that first challenger victory in Orlando, beating uh, Diego Montiero, beating Mackie McDonald, beating Mitchell Kruger and just, you know, not dropping a set the entire week. And beating an informed Junis Warren who had made the final of Kerry, too. No, but it's just like, if you're judging Brandon Nakashima's first 18 months on tour, how can you give him anything but an A to an A+. Like, he has hit every benchmark we want to see from a young player. 
Yeah, and I, I, I don't think you mentioned this, the uh, 2020 uh, Delray Beach uh, quarterfinal appearance where he beat Vesely and, and Nori uh, and, ha- and had a close loss to Nishioka. That was a great foray into the ATP level uh, for, for him, too. Yeah, no, I mean, again, you're absolutely right. It was a quarterfinal at a 250, so that's another benchmark he's checked off early in his career. He got his first victory at a Grand Slam, and he's obviously a guy I think both of us expect to see qualify for the Australian Open, given that it's an outdoor hardcourt event, which is clearly his preferred surface. And, you know, if there's anything still to be desired from Brandon Nakashima's young career, it's the fact that we haven't seen him much outside of a hardcourt. We've seen him outdoors and indoors on those hardcourts, and I think both uh both places are uh, surfaces he will have success, but he's only played eight professional matches on clay. He's four and four in those matches, and that's definitely a question mark, right? Because you look at him as a mover, you look at the, you know, we can start to talk about the most impressive things here and the skills we think he needs to work on. Let's start with the latter here first. In terms of him as a mover, and in the modern game, movement is the single most important skill I don't know. Uh, but I'll, I'll let you go oh my first, God, David. What do you think the about his? Out my mouth. Yeah. What do you think about his movement? That was actually my main thing that I was going to say for things I think he needs to work on. Is I think his lateral movement, especially from the outer thirds of the court, is probably his biggest weakness. Um, I have also mentioned in the past that I think his transition game in the past could have been better in his net play, but you can tell that his. His current coach is uh, Dusan Vemich, but he used to work with Pat Cash, and Pat Cash definitely worked extremely hard on his transition game. You saw it at the end of this past season. Uh, he was coming to the net with more confidence. He was he was knowing the right moments to come to the net. But in terms of his weak, he could still use a little improvement there, but definitely his lateral movement at the baseline is where I see him having the most problems. What do you think? I think he anticipates really well, and I do think that is a skill that helps cover up the fact that he's not an elite athlete, and we talked about that size. He's not, you know, the difference between him, because he's similar in size and stature to, I suppose, a guy like Tommy Paul or Francis Tiafoe, at least in terms of height and weight, that's probably about where he ends up, and, you know, he's not the athlete that those two are. That being said, he's not... I don't think he has the footwork problems or the foot speed problems, I should say, of Taylor Fritz. I think it's more fluid than that. I think he does cover the ball. I think he covers uh, the court laterally fine. I think he has really good defensive skills, and he gives himself time when he's behind the baseline by elevating that ball over the net to recover, to get back to the center, to give him that extra split second he needs to then take that next ball early and up the line. And I just think... With that being said, it's not elite, right? It is a little bit rigid. The guy we talked about last weekend, uh, by the way, just so you know, David, I heard from uh, Coach David Cass, not Dave Cass. David Cass, the coach of J.J. Wolf, was very – he very much enjoyed the podcast and very much enjoyed what we had to say, so shout out to you. But um, he – you know, it's not quite J.J. Wolf. Either. I think he's a little bit more fluid. I would probably, I if I was going ranking these guys, I'd go Nakashima 1, Wolf 2, Fritz 3. That being said, it it's clearly not elite, right? I'm trying to think of a good comparison on the Pro Tour in terms of movement. A guy who moves well, but not well, incredibly well. I, it, 
It's yeah. not quite David Goffin because David Goffin moves no. really, no, really well. And not. I don't think Nakashima is that explosive. I don't know. What I, What do you think? I have one, but I want to save it for the pro con. So. Well, just just throw it out here now. Let's have some fun. We don't right. have to. Don't worry about the script. We don't have to st- right. stick to script. I I think when I when I see Nakashima, despite I think this guy's forehand being better than his backhand, I think I see a lot of Marin Cilic. Uh Interesting. But the interesting. So make the case. Okay. So. Um, so despite his, Pachilic relies on his forehand more than, you know, and Nakashima relies on the backhand. They both have bat, ground strokes that cut through the court. They're both, I see a little stiffness and don't have the greatest movement. Ground strokes remind me of each other. They both are kind of flatter. Um, I think, I think they're not so focused. You know, they're both like hard courts. Very comfortable on hard courts. You use utilize topspin, but not as much as the clay quarters. Don't love the net, net, but make an effort. Uh, I think Chilich is also one that's been deaf. He's been playing a lot of doubles, making that effort. Um, I Chilich is good on grass, and I think Nakashima has a great chance to be great on grass. He already won a Grade One Junior tournament on grass, um, so I'm excited. You mentioned the surface things, and I totally agree about clay. But I think on grass, once he gets comfortable. And has played more on it. He's going to be good, just like Chilich is. Um, do you see it or now? You know, I have to say, of all of the pro comparisons you've given me, this is the one I've thought about the most. This is a thinker. I've just been sitting here really weighing the things. And where I agree with you, in 2007 or 2006, whenever it was, and I, someday I suppose I'll have him on the podcast to attest to this, but I remember the first time I watched Marin Chilich, and I remember talking with my older brother and just being like, I'm telling you, Eric, this guy's going to be good. I was like, I, I don't know if he's going to win a Grand Slam, and you know, I'm 11, 12 years old at the time, so I doubt I was given that nuanced of a take, but I was just like, Eric, I'm telling you, something about this guy, the way he swings the boat racket, the way he moves for his size, he is going to be good and that was a take that I stuck with and obviously it paid dividends and I think you think that same thing when you watch Brandon Nakashima you're just like okay this guy is going to be good because Marin Cilic is also a guy that can do so many things around the court he because of his length moves a little bit better than you expect he's gonna make that on the rise shot he's gonna take that ball early of course I think because of his size he can hit a gear perhaps a little bit bigger than Nakashima can. I also think with his serve, when it's really clicking, he can create easier plus one opportunities than Brandon can. And that's where I struggle. But I see the comparison. I see what you're saying. Both guys who know they should move forward but aren't the most comfortable volleyers either. Both guys very good returners as well, and you love both the way they can hit the backhands down the line. It's an interesting comparison for sure. For me... You know, in terms of movement, just to stick there for a second, it's almost, do you want to say Stan Wawrinka? Almost like that Wawrinka Tsitsipas category where you're just like, okay, their movement is never going to be a problem, but they're not the elites of the elites, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, in terms of movement, I see it, yeah. Yeah, and so Um, just just to stick with that for a second. Yeah, and so, you know, but with that in mind, I 
with the movement not being a problem for Brandon, although, again, I would like to see how he slides in and out of corners. Is he going to be a guy who's comfortable sliding into a shot and then recovering on the clay? I do agree with you. I think his low center of gravity, which is just kind of the way you can tell he's a guy who's always balanced, uh, I do think that's going to translate well on the grass. Of course, we haven't seen him play a pro match yet on the surface, but there were no pro matches on grass, or like four of them, during the 2020 season, so we can let that slide but I don't he also know. So, struggled on carpet, too, um, at the end of 2020. Now, he might have been injured. Um, yeah, that no, that's just from injury. excessive rug burn. It, it's tough. It's tough uh, for all of us. But, no, I mean, yeah, it's just – so So there's that component. The movement's not great. I, not, not not great. Excuse me. The movement is good, not great. The power is good, not great. Like, when you think of Brandon Nakashima, the only explosive – Part of his game is the backhand down the line. Like, when he is clicking on that shot, that is explosive. But, I mean, I don't think he is a plus-power athlete. What do you think? No, I agree. I I do think he does a great job of holding the baseline um, and and situating himself right on top of the baseline. That's Especially on, again, especially on hard courts, I noticed that. Um, Which, but I think he's got a, he's gotta get a little more comfortable you know on clay and being you know and i in on different surfaces and but on hard courts i've noticed the power he's so comfortable he's he's able to produce those big serve plus one opportunities um better and he's impressive for his you know for being six what six one right or six yeah six foot one he does as good of a job as he can do given his height no, I, and, you know, again, he's not the most natural volleyer, but he's someone who clearly has recognized that he creates space for himself. He creates time for himself to move forward, to take angles away by by coming to the net, and he has already, early in his career, improved as a volleyer, and I think that bodes really well. It reminds me of the jump Zverev has made, right? The jump where Zverev was not a natural volleyer, but now when he moves forward, at least there's a plan in place. At least he sort of knows what he's doing sometimes he doesn't execute the volley well but other times he really does and I think that's the stage Nakashima's at as well well yeah he'll he'll shank the occasional forehand volley into the net tape or he'll overcook a, or he'll try to hit a backhand drop volley that just floats on him a little bit but he's putting himself in better positions now and Absolutely. you know this all this all gets us to talking about his biggest strength, which is just, it's his mind on the court. It's the fact that Brandon Nakashima does not make incorrect decisions. Brandon Nakashima is so calculated in every decision he makes, and so often they're the right decisions, whether it's, you know, being two feet closer to the baseline so he can cut off that angle, take that Mm -hmm. ball early down the line, whether it's opening up the court with short angles, both forehand and backhand side, and then, you know, driving the ball a little bit flatter down the line. I mentioned this earlier when he's on the run, his willingness, particularly on the forehand side, to elevate that ball up the line and high over the net just to give himself more time to recover and kind of, you know, say, okay, like, I know you're going to attack me going backhand cross court here trying to attack my backhand side but good luck attacking this ball and it's just I I mean when I think about his biggest strength his most impressive skill more than any any shot he's you know singular shot he hits that's what it is to me it's his decision making on the court it's just it's just so measured yeah I completely agree with you I I 
I was trying to think of a shot, which is why I said uh, his backhand for me and his ability to change. No, you're absolutely. But if we're talking about the intangibles, I completely 100% agree with you. He's, I think what's great now is you're right. Even though he might not be making every volley, he's now recognizing the right time to the net and trying his best to execute the correct shot. And so I am 100% in agreement with you. I know we're not always I supposed to so- agree with each other. We're allowed <laughs> to disagree, but I do agree with you. <laughs> hey, every so often there's just a correct take, and I think we both have the correct take in this instance. But look, wh- I think every so often, with all due respect to these guys, you watch a Francis Tiafo match or you watch a Tommy Paul match as an American men's tennis fan, and you're just like, come on, guys, like get your together like this isn't that hard with your and I know it is that hard they're way better tennis players than I will ever be obviously 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 we all know that but with the skill sets they have there's just they make decisions on court where you're just like really Francis you had to slice Uh, that forehand there or like really Tommy yeah the uh Nur Sultan uh tie break for Tommy Paul exactly no exactly where you're just like come on like you did not need to make it this difficult for yourself yeah you will never feel that watching a Brandon Nakashima match now he may miss the down the line in the net tape but you'll be like you know what that was a good shot like that was absolutely the ball that was the one to take early you just missed it or you know maybe every so often if his first serve or second serve is hanging a little short which is another thing we can talk about it in a second then he'll try to force the plus one forehand and I do think the forehand side is the side that goes a little awry on him that gets a little slap happy and flat at times but like that's just an error. Like, people miss on tennis courts. Even Rafael Nadal, even Novak Djokovic have missed shots. It's the, th- you know, the intangibles, the thought making, the thought process for Brandon, and then the return of serve as well, where it's just, they're all elite. Yeah, and when you're saying all this, I, I think back to the match at the end of last season against Kwiatkowski. You know, Kwiatkowski's a tough player. He sometimes will rip shots, sometimes will play with incredible variety. And it took Brandon a while to figure out how to play against his game. And he eventually was able to problem solve, make the right plays, and pull the match out in the end. Do you remember that? Uh, Oh, it was horrifying. It was a Virginia on Virginia crime. And people know on the side, I hustle for my Cavaliers, go who's. But it's just, yeah, it was, I mean... Uh, The thing is, I'm such a Kwiatkowski fan, and I've gotten the chance to get to know him a little bit, so it's always tough to watch his matches because talk about another guy who is almost the – you don't want to say the anti-Nakashima, but it's just like – talk about a guy where everything he does is about elite athleticism, elite explosion off of his racket, that serve, the power he can generate, his foot speed as well. Uh, but then, you know, he'll spend the entire match, 30 minutes of it, hitting only forehanded backhand slices. And you're right. just like, what are you doing? Uh, and yeah, Nakashima weathered that storm. He stayed steady. He found his rhythm in the second and third sets, even though he didn't serve particularly well. And I do think the serve is going to be important for Brandon because you look at, you know, the, the success he had this season. He made about 61.2.3% uh, of his first serves in Challenger and tour level 
level matches. Now, he won over 72% of those first serve points, and that's a really good number. And if you give Brandon time to get into his patterns to move you around the court, particularly at the challenger level, which is where so many of his matches came to, I mean, he's just going to beat you. And you could see that. But I do worry about, you know, the fact that A, 61-ish percent on the first serve as he plays better and better players who have bigger and bigger weapons. Uh, He doesn't have the biggest first serve, and that could be an issue. So I think that percentage has to get a little bit higher. I also do worry sometimes that second serve sits like a hanging duck. And in challenger matches last year, he won only 50.7% of his second serve points. That number feels like in his first full season of ATP matches, it could go down significantly. And he's a guy who's going to put himself in every returning game he plays, but you have to win easy points on the ATP tour, and I do wonder if you also worry that that could be a problem for him at least early on. Yeah, so he relies on hitting his spots, and so, you know, even if he's slightly off, you know, since he doesn't have that, you know, tall build, you know, being like, you know, six foot ten, you know, that he will, if he's not hitting his spots, have some weaker serves that opponents can take advantage of, so... I completely agree, but when he's hitting his spots, his serve looks great. Um, but it's like you said, if he's missing, you know, first serves and not being able to place the ball well in the service box, then he's gonna struggle a bit more. I don't want to say you... struggle too much, but a bit, a bit more for sure. Yeah, I think much like his movement, the serve, if it's a binary binary system of is it good enough or is it not good enough, it is good enough. And as I think you mentioned earlier, he can slice it out wide on the deuce, he can slice it down the tee on the ad, but he can also hit the kicks on the other sides as well. And, you know, he, he likes to hit that jam slice into the body serve on both the deuce and the ad side just so that you're playing in the center of the court. Now he can open it up with that big forehand rip inside out or inside in. Um, but at the same time, you think about some of these young next-gen Americans, like it's not an Opelka serve, it's not a Fritz serve, and those are two guys who have the potential, even a Tiafo first serve, which has the potential to be an elite ATP weapon, Nakashima doesn't have that, I, I don't think he quite has the, the pop of the Tommy Paul serve as well, the way Tommy Paul can explode a kick serve through the court, it, it really is, it's it probably yeah. his... It hit most, the slight yeah, on maybe. the G side, yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, how and I don't think not Taylor sh- Fritz served though. God, it, I was watching uh, his highlights against Shapovalov at the U.S. Open the other day. God, that guy mm-hmm. rips his serve. I, I, it's hard to compare Nakajima to Fritz because Fritz is, I think, turning into one of the better servers in the game. Well, so, but what I'm trying to, and I completely agree with you, and what I'm trying to say is the reason those guys have maintained their success is because in modern tennis, with all of the skills everyone has, you have to have something to make points easy for yourself. You have to have an elite weapon you can turn to. And you just worry for a guy like Nakashima. He's going to play so many physical matches, and so much of his style is predicated on him being as fit as he can be. And it's just not going to be as easy for him as some of those other guys. At the same time, you know, I think that's where I disagree probably most with that Marin Chilich comparison from you in terms of other pro players out there is just because Chilich did have the serve and did have the size to make things easier for himself. But... I don't know, you start to look at at the ranking, or you start to look at, you know, the success some of these guys have had. Yeah, I didn't even I, think it's about not, the height for Chilich. You're right, you're totally right about how he has that 
height that gets him uh, that extra, you know, angle on the serve for sure. Mm-hmm. No, and so I mean, I start to think about a pro comparison for him again. I David Goffin is an easy one to make for any player who's just got a really nice skill set, who just has a, you know does a lot of things pretty well and has a high floor as a player. But it's just not quite as explosive as Goffin. I also think it's a little steadier from the baseline than Goffin. It's not, I don't like. It's not born a Chorch because again, it's not that elite athleticism yeah. Chorch has. But the way Chorch can hurt you both inside uh, and from behind the baseline with his backhand side in particular. But the way he also looks to move forward, I see a lot of similar skills there for Nakashima. It's tough. I mean, yeah. the stupid comparison to make is Novak Djokovic because of the backhands. Just respectfully, he doesn't have the elite athleticism of Novak Djokovic. And while he can be really, really, really good, it's just not fair or genuine to put anyone in that sort of stratosphere. It's hard to I don't compare know. Uh, Nakashima to like a clay court-centric player just because I we just haven't seen his game enough on clay. You know, mm-hmm. and not not saying Djokovic, but I'm just thinking about in terms of like uh, so uh, some other players. Um, so I have one for you. It's a little bit weird, but the one I kept coming back to, and again, I don't think he's quite as quick as this guy, but I do think he's has even more pop with his ground strokes than this guy, and I think they have similar skill sets in that they can do a lot of things with the ball. What do you think about a modern day Jill Simone comparison? For Brandon Nakashima, just a guy who, again, top 15 for eight years, match in, match out. If you're not playing your best tennis, you are going to lose to a prime Jill Simone because he's going to move you around the court. He's going to take balls early. He's going to absorb your pace. And he's just going to, he's not going to beat himself. I think that, I see that in Brandon Nakashima. For me, I think that's the pro comp that I'm going to turn to. I can see it in terms of like, how they swing, how they swing for their grand strokes. Honestly, I would love to comp- I would love to combine Simone and Chilich, and I think for me that might be the perfect comparison if we combine them. Love two. that, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think that actually is perfect. It, it's somewhere in that range of just again counter punching, consistent moving the ball around the court players in 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 today's game that's you know those guys are the archetype and so you know when you start to talk about Nakashima and what you project for him in 2021 David uh we've already seen him continue to ascend the rankings right he ends his 2020 season with that challenger title in Orlando first challenger title of his career he doesn't drop a set he's inside the top 170 certainly a guy we're going to see play Australian Open qualifying Uh, But he is a little bit in the vomit zone where his ranking not exactly good enough to get him into 250 events. But, you know, he does want to try and make that jump. And in a year when you don't know exactly when and where challenger events are going to be, uh, you're a guy who probably can get some wild cards coming your way. How do you negotiate those two things? What do you expect from Brandon in 2021? I really want to say top 100, but it's gonna. It's a long ways there, you know. Seventy spots in the rankings yeah. is a that's a lot. Um, I would say if he can get himself in the top 125 and situate himself there, that would, and then in 2022 make that jump, you know, to maybe top 75, top 50. That would be great. Um, I think he can. Yeah, you know, I think I don't want to sell him short though. So like, I really do think he can be in the top 100 this year. 
it's just like there's so much uncertainty, like you said. So it's tough. Um, it's it's. I'll say I'll say I think he probably ends the year one ten plus or minus ten spots. What do you think? Well, it, it under a normal calendar, I think the opportunity for Brandon would be okay. Post Australian Open, yeah, there's the low hanging fruit of Rotterdam and all these indoor hard court events. But go play the South American clay swing. Get some 250 events that you'll get into qualifying to under your belt on the clay and see how you compete on the dirt. And you're not going to lose a big portion of the year. Then you can go play maybe you know Dallas during one of the weeks if you want to sneak that in and into an indoor hard court challenger. Usually there are those sorts of events of, uh, and opportunities available to you. This year it's a really tough choice because, you know, in January, I think there are a couple of challengers, but if he wants to play Australian Open qualifying, he can't do that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, let's say he qualifies for the Australian Open. Well, now you're kind of stuck in Australia. There are two events. I think they're the 250s, which he's probably not going to get into given what the ranking cutoffs are going to be. And now he's in a really tough position, and it's just like – Again, it's, it's it's the ranking vomit zone. That being said, if Brandon's on the court, I expect him to have success in 2021. Mm-hmm. I expect him to rack up at least one more challenger title during this season, maybe even two. I do think if he end, you know, I think he ends up in the main draw of the U.S. Open at the end of this season, whether through wild card or his own volition. I do think he's a guy we'll see play slam qualifying at all of the slams this year uh, that are played, and I. I think he's a guy who can qualify for all four slams. Like, I just think his game is ready. Well, you can see it. And so I, I – I, top 100 is a lot to expect with all of the rankings protections and the yes. changes to the rules. But I expect him to end the year inside the top 120. Yeah, you said qualify for all the slams. I completely agree with Australian Open, U.S. Open. I think he can be great on – I think his game translates good enough to grass to – I want to see more. Like I said before, I want to see more of him on clay before. Yeah, there, there's some pretty serious clay quarters that are going to be in that French Open qualifying draw that he's going to have to navigate. Yeah, but if Brandon Nakashima is as good as we think he is, it shouldn't be a problem for him to translate to clay. Like He should be ready to do that. And again, I just think if he's on the court, if he can move on the clay, he's going to beat people on clay because he's got the game style to move the ball around the court and just have success on the surface but you're right you're absolutely right I think clay will be a big thing for him uh not only this season but obviously throughout his career because we know he's a guy who will put forward good results on hard courts but you look at his upside where you think he can go in terms of his ranking perspective in terms of what he can accomplish at big events David where do you see Brandon Nakashima topping out as obviously a Marin Chilich comparison that's a grand (laughs) slam champion is that something you think Brandon is capable of achieving I I think I think the world of Brandon Nakashima. I don't see him winning a Grand Slam in his career. I think he can be top fifty, though. What do you think? I, I mean, feel yeah, bad I, saying that. No, I, no, it, it's nothing. It's not disrespectful to say someone can't be a Grand Slam champion. Obviously, never say never. But you just look at the physical profiles of some of the young ascending players, the weapons they have uh, available to them. Guys like FAA Sinner, who are of his generation. But then, of course, Alcaraz. he's got the whole next. Yeah, exactly. And he's got the entire next gen crew uh, above him as well. Guys like Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, who are going to be pretty good on hard courts themselves uh, for quite a bit of time. And so 
I don't know if Grand Slam winner will be something we call Grant, uh, Brandon Nakashima when his career is over. I do think he's absolutely a guy who will be in the top 20 at some point in his career. Just too wow. solid on the hard courts, too good uh, from a physical uh, – just too many skills at his disposal. And he's a guy who I think raises his level to his level of competition as well. Just the way he absorbs Virev's pace and dished it right back to him at the U.S. Open. It was so impressive. And so, you know – I think he's a guy who can be top 20. I don't I agree with you top 10, top 5. I don't know if he's got the weapons to make things easy enough for him to have that sort of success, but he's a guy I don't think I think for the majority of his career will be able to pick where he wants to play. I don't think Masters qualifying or any of that. I don't think that should play a role in his career. I think he's a guy who should spend the majority of his career, if not all of it, inside the top 50. Certainly, uh, I think will be a top 35 and maybe even a top 20 guy. I don't know. Is that is that too much? Well, I, I, no, I don't think so. I think he has a lot of potential. I could see him being seated at slams in the future. Uh, I, I, no, I don't think that's too much. It, it, it's definitely like a ceiling in my opinion, in my opinion. And I think he, I, it's so much, you know, these guys are all still so young. It's hard to, you know, with the tennis, you know, prime age getting older and older, it's hard to say where these guys will be in 10 years, but I think he can be top 20. Sure. Yeah. Here's the thing to your point. If you would have asked me two or three years ago, what do you think about Tsitsipas and Rublev? I would have said, I don't think they move well enough. I just think they're a little stiff. They're a little rigid. They're not the best athletes. They both overcame that problem fairly quickly in their young careers. And it's like, if my biggest concern for Brandon is that he's a little stiff and that his weapons aren't quite big enough, I mean, those are all easily improvable things, right? Movement is something all of these athletes get better at. There's no structural or fundamental flaw in Brandon's game. And so, like, uh, uh, to the point of the flip side, okay, well, if it doesn't work out for Brandon Nakashima, why will that happen? And, like, short of injuries, I can't think of anything that will hold Brandon Nakashima back in his game. Like, okay, he doesn't have the biggest weapon. Well, he's going to be top 100 because his weapons are certainly big enough for that. And it's like, if that is where you're starting, that's a, that's a really good starting point. It's absolutely a great starting point. You're right. Like, someone like Rublev, we didn't think he—at least I didn't think he, he was going to be this good this fast. And look how fast he's risen up— we're everyone, you know, we used to talk about a second serve and now he's able to, he's been able to improve his second serve and really explode from, you know, explosive movement, which we didn't, you know, we didn't know if we could see in the past. So I completely agree with you. If our biggest issue with him is that his lateral movement isn't the highest, the, the highest quality, then he's in pretty damn good shape. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And again, Brandon, a guy all of us will have circled as someone to make a big jump during the 2021 season. But that'll do it for our next-gen ATP 2.0 series, at least for now. Although, I feel like there are a couple of other, David, that we haven't quite gotten to that certainly as the results start to come in during this 2021 season, uh, we will uh, we may want to talk about, we may want to run this series back, write a little bit about on the website, crackrackets.com, of 
course, to read more about Nakashima or any of the players we've discussed, go to that website. You can find David's pieces on there. You can find all of the podcasts if you've missed any of them as well. Uh, but of course, it is now time for the 2021 season to get underway. And before I let you go, David, I just have to ask any initial thoughts, any, you know, I feel like you're probably also uh, maybe the most disappointed tennis fan right now in the world in that, yeah, there's these ATP events going on, but where's the challenger action you're looking I forward know. to uh, the most? I feel like, yeah, you're you're kind of like, ah, save this action and give me the real stuff back. Uh, well, you know, it does, season doesn't start that, until like, that. In, Ty- in Tyla and Delray are, are kind of so close to challenger level, you know, in terms of the draws. Uh, I mean, in terms of at least the yeah. qualifying draws. No, I mean... Yeah, <laughs> I, I suppose it's been a while since we've seen Berrettini and Demonauer, uh as top four seeds at the or Gofen at the challenger level. Actually, Gofen was a top four seed in Phoenix in 2019, so it really wasn't that long ago. But no, I, I don't disagree with you there. But just in general, curious your things, the things you're watching for most closely here in this first week of professional tennis action. Yeah, you know, the first week is so tough because you don't know how much people have been training over the off season. If they've even, you know, this year been even able to train with the restrictions in these different countries being different. So it's so hard to gauge where people's levels are going to be. So for me, I'm just looking at, do you, does it look like you're building on the previous season or starting like a clean slate, if that makes sense? Um, mm-hmm. And I want, you know, I want to see guys like, Kozlov and Donald Young, you, you know, put their you know, poor results from the previous, you know, couple of years aside and start to move, you know, someone like Kozlov had a lot of momentum maybe two, three years ago. And then yesterday, and it's great to see, uh, Zane Khan played, you know, he's very vocal on the court, maybe, maybe a little too vocal for me, but seeing a young guy like that play well and win his third beat Richard I know Richard retired but that was great to see um what about you what are you looking for and then and then the women's drive the women's uh Abu Dhabi is even today is super strong uh the order of play yeah I I mean so I still have to rewatch last night's matches. We're recording this Wednesday, January six uh, at about noon uh, Eastern time. I still have to watch the Conteve law. I mean, I have to watch all of them. I thought Conteve was going to beat Kudermatova. I'm surprised she didn't. He's I want really to see good. what happened there. Yeah, Kudermatova is great, but so is Annette Conteve. Annette Conteve was so good down the home stretch of 2020. Uh, but I was not surprised to see Owen Jabour, Putin, Seva both get wins uh, on the day. I, I mean, I'm just excited to watch all of the action because. You know, parity is the word in the WTA game right now, and it's really just a matter of who's going coming into the Australian Open hot, who's got momentum on their side, uh, who's got confidence on their side, and so that's the thing I'm looking forward to most. I have some notions, right? Like someone like Sabalenka, who wins her last ten matches of 2020, you'd hope to see that carry into 2021. And, and really apparently, the court her. speed in Abu Dhabi is really fast, so that helps. Her. Fast and humid. It is fast and humid there. I also love the paint job they did on the Abu Dhabi courts. I think they are brilliantly colored, um, but very much looking forward to that. And for Antalya and Delray Beach, I just hope we get to see any of it, right? Like, just give me camera action that I don't yeah. have to find illegally, please. 
Do you know if Tennis Channel is streaming uh, Delray? I'm hoping they I do. believe they are. I believe they are. And so hopefully all of you will be able to watch that. And, of course, uh, you know, David, I, I hope you are able to watch that action as well. And I feel like we should get you still on the podcast weekly. I know you are busy with things going on. And I know you've got, you know, other things you are working on, other projects. And I want you to remind our listeners where they can read and find all of it. But hopefully we can get you on the show, talk a little bit about the Challenger and about the action going on in the Pro Tour if not every week at least once a month throughout this season yeah i'm happy to do it and i thank you for the opportunity i'd love to get some of the other uh, challenger people from twitter on too that'd be fun i think if a bunch of us got on and because you don't usually you know there's not many of us you know around the world that actually care you know a ton about challenger tennis it'd be fun if to get to talk with more no i I completely i completely agree with you i will say try hosting a five-person podcast and things go awry very very quickly you're like oh wait you have a phrase to say well he already started talking sorry so i've lost control of this one but no i i'm a hundred percent down always fun to to chat always fun to chat about these next gen atp 2.0 guys so of course david thank you as always for taking thank you for the opportunity to chat with you soon where where can our listeners read and find all of your work so uh, at Tennis Blogger One, I have an all about tennis blog. I ha- I write for Last Word on Tennis, and then I have these this series on track racket. Yeah, uh, and we of course will continue this series. And again, we look forward to chatting with you throughout the year. But David, thank you as always for joining the show. Thank you so much. Seriously. Hope all of you enjoyed David and my conversation breaking down Brandon Nakashima, one of the many rising next-gen ATP 2.0 stars currently out there on tour. Of course, if you missed any of our conversations about the other young stars out there, you can go hear about Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, Lorenzo Musetti, Emil Rusevori, Yuri Rodionov, and JJ Wolf on the Mini Break podcast feed. You can also read about all of them on our website, CrackedRackets.com. While there, you'll find our weekly weekly review previews. Judson Wall's look at the action going on throughout the tour. You'll be able to break here about our College Contender Series, breaking down the top men's teams heading into this 2021 season. You'll be able to find all of the podcasts there as well and so much more. But if you need those more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an any job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at DraftKings to play along with us throughout the 2021 season just go to dkng.co slash cracked open and be sure to look out for those gsp ace of the day podcasts each and every morning but with that in mind for my wonderful co-hosts david girdler our super producers max fleeger and daniel westoff our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say hey great shot we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.